So I'm going to talk over this a little bit. When I was about nine years old, I used to watch my dad in the living room play clarinet to this music. <clears throat> my dad was a big band musician. So he was a Hollywood star in terms of this stuff. So he was very, very good at doing music lessons. And so I would watch him play. This is Artie Shaw playing. And he would play these types of songs, and I would be inspired by his music. It was overwhelming. So I'd say, Dad, please, could I play clarinet? And my dad would say, No. You cannot play clarinet. So for a year, I watched him, and I would approach him over and over again, and say, Dad, can I play clarinet? And he would say, No. Yeah. So why did he say that? Say it again. Got to be old enough. That's right. You got it. You got what I was looking for. but you have to practice an hour a day and I never want to ask you once whether you practiced. So my memory is, which I'm sure it's twisted, <clears throat> that I practiced an hour to two hours a day for the next five years. So through elementary school, junior high, I played in band and orchestra. By the time I finished junior high, I was in a jazz band playing alto sax. When I got to high school, it was an old, but it was surf music, so I switched to tenor sax. It was the most popular tenor sax player in the school, and played tenor sax in three different rock and roll bands. I had a great time with it. And so, the interesting thing for me was, that was my call to music to begin with. Not as good as Valerie or or a lot of the other people that are here that do music. But for me, it was a call. And my dad uh, didn't bring the reflection back on himself. He admired me. So he would say, you can add lib better than I was ever able to add lib, a more right brain than he is on it. So the, the question is, and this is a trick question, but who gets the credit for my clarinet playing? Who gets the glory and honor for my clarinet playing? Is it all about Dad? Is it all about me? Okay. So we're going to switch over to Psalm 128. I have 300 pages written on this psalm, so we're going to do a broad overview. Read this with me. Joyful and happy 
are those who fear the Lord and all who follow His ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like the rule very fine, flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear Him. May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. May Israel have peace. Okay, I know these psalms are sometimes hard to relate to because they have a context. They say scripture to do next to Jesus is scripture. You have to know the context. They were agrarian society. So when they do all these images that relate to plants, we usually don't relate to plants very well. So when we're talking about prosperous uh, grapevines or olive trees, that's not the way we think. It's not the way we relate. So I always, when I'm working on a psalm, I always rewrite them and try and bring it a little bit more to a contemporary. So this is how I rewrote it. How joyful am I when I fear, respect, and reverence my Lord and follow His ways. I will enjoy the good consequences of my labor. How joyful and prosperous I will be. I will have a rich life. <clears throat> because your word proclaims your blessings. My spouse will have success, strength, prosperity, and health. Be like a woman or a man of great dignity, character, and honor, flourishing or thriving in my home. My children will be healthy, full of vitality, like vigorous young athletes as they sit around my table. This will be my blessing from my Lord, as I fear, reverence, trust, and obey Him. He promises me those blessings, and all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. The Lord will continually bless me with place of worship, Zion, living in His presence. I will see my city, Tucson, prosper as long as I live. May I enjoy my grandkids. I have ten of them. <clears throat> May I enjoy my nation, America, and have peace for Shalom. <clears throat> So this song, the broad overview, is about the four life tasks. Can you name them? <coughs> Small enough group, we can talk. It's intimate, come on. What are the four life tasks? John. Fear God. Okay, that's one. It's the first one. Second one. To work. Okay, third one. Family. One more. Community. Thanks, Mike. <clears throat> okay, next slide. I guess I don't have these quite in the right order, but let me just say under the last one in community, it's broken down in the song into different areas. The first community is church, which the vineyard church very much a community church. Then the second one is city. They bring grandkids in along there. The third one is the nation, and we would add world because we're a global village. 
this point in time. But in life stages, we also would look at it that the most important thing is your relationship with the Lord. So that's first, that's mentioned consistently first in the Psalms, that you need to fear God and walk into his ways. And then work. Why would work be the first one? Because we usually think in terms of priority, we wouldn't see work as priority. Why would it be first in life stages? John. I would say it's a creation ordinance. Something that God has called us to from the creation. I knew you would say that. <laughs> okay. And in life stages, you can't leave home until you can work and support yourself. <clears throat> so in stages of life, until you can support yourself and self-sustain, you can't start into your life tasks. <clears throat> so that's what I think, and then family is a creation out of that. You can take care of yourself, then you can start to take care of family, right? Mm -hmm. Then community is the broader family, so taking care of the family, the community is even harder in terms of that. All of this, in my opinion, uh, relates to faith, because when it says you fear God, it's talking about your relationship. When I grew up, Fear was kind of a scary thing. This really means more a reverent relationship with God. <clears throat> and in that relationship, it's through faith. Hebrews says that we have to believe that he's, what? Insurance of things hope. Well, you're ahead of me, Jim. He exists. Yeah, we have to believe that somebody we can't see exists. And then we have to believe, if we diligently seek him, that he's what June said, a rewarder. So that brings us into this faith relationship. And faith is not about the things that we see, the things that we feel, the things that we've experienced, but it's about a God we can't see and what he says in his word that are true. <laughs> That's what we're to have faith in. For instance, I'll give you one example. You guys all know this. When Peter sees Jesus walking on the water, has he ever seen that before? No. So it's new in his experience. And he calls out to Jesus, and he says, Lord, if that's you, call me to yourself. Why does he say that? He's fearful. Say it again. He's fearful. He's afraid, but he realizes that there's no way that he can walk on water in and of himself, right? His experience is you sink. You get out there, you can't walk on water. So he knows that he can't do it, but he knows if God, Jesus, calls him to do it, he trusts in God's word, he can do it, right? So Jesus summons him, he calls him. <coughs> So out of that, he believes that he can do it. <clears throat> Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now I'm going to challenge you a little bit tonight on this personally because I'm going to talk about call. The beginning example was my call into music, and there's a lot more in my story on that. But... A lot of you don't know this, that when we started the vineyard, I led worship for probably the first five years. 
so I switched to guitar. <clears throat> and then we recorded albums around here, and we had the best Jesus music in the country coming to the vineyard <laughs> regularly because we got all the Calvary Chapel people from California over here. It wasn't that we had it, but we brought them in. So it was a lot of fun. We had a great time. But one of the things that I believe that faith says is that you as believers are called to be creative and productive. And that you have amazing potential and unlimited resources for creativity and productivity. And uh, one, I'm just going to give another example of this. One of the meta-divine visions of the Old Testament was that the believers for hundreds of years were called into the promised land, right? Everybody knows that. So that fulfillment shows up when Solomon has actually finished out a lot of that vision and he creates this amazing city. His reputation spreads all over the world because he has a reputation that God is with him and what he's done glorifies God. 1 Kings 10, 1 through 7, if you want to look it up. It's a great passage. So um, the queen of Sheba hears about this, but she doesn't believe him. So she doesn't believe the reports. So she shows up to check him out and to check the place out. And what you see in this passage is that she's overwhelmed by his faith achievement. It says that she's overwhelmed. She can't even believe what she sees. And because of being overwhelmed, she gives glory to God. That can happen today, every day. But it will only happen if we accept our call of faith. We accept our call and walk in faith. We get to see great faith achievements. And in those achievements, God is glorified. <coughs> in the Old Testament especially, faith has conditions to it. <coughs> If we do this, God will do that. There's so many conditional promises. But oftentimes in the New Testament, we so focus so much on grace that we get a magical Christianity. We believe if we just pray, God's going to do something, and we miss our part. And if you miss your part in faith, you're not going to see the fulfillment of faith in your life. You have to walk in faith and obedience, trust in obedience, to see God's promises come true. I start about five after. Yes? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So, Oz Guinness says about this thing on fearing God that it has to do with our primary call. That the number one uh, life task is a call to God. And it's the most misunderstood doctrine in America, according to Oz Guinness. That we don't understand the depth of call and what it means. He believes since the Renaissance Reformation that we believe call is about career rather than God. But call is really about a call to the person, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Excuse me. Not about career, role, place, task, but a calling to the person of Jesus Christ. And if you call to Jesus Christ, it's to know him and his voice moment by moment. So it's not a particular event. It's more a relationship where we grow in our knowledge of him. 
and that that's our primary call. Here's what he says. Calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, everything we have is invested with a special devotion, dynamism, and direction lived out in response to his summons and service. Chris had talked about this when we were talking about call in the book of Matthew, that it's a summons to him. I don't know this group real well, but one of the things that I believe is that tonight God's calling you to himself. You don't know Jesus Christ. He wants you to respond to his call. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know that he forgives you for every sin that was paid the price. He wants you to be able to respond to his voice. He wants you to live out your destiny in him. <clears throat> Not just knowing the Savior, but Lord of your life and that he's calling you to a deeper relationship. And there may be specific tasks that he calls you into that you're afraid of and if you use yourself as your reference point, you'll never step into them. They'll only come through faith. And if you don't step into faith, you'll never see your divine destiny developed in his workmanship. So, we do the next one. Okay, on this, <coughs> this is a song of blessing. And so, I want you to see the circularity of it. So, if you start with God, we know that God blesses us. That's that's a given in, in a lot of our worship songs. And then his blessing is they come to us. But blessing is one of those weird words in the scriptures that we can also bless God. We bless God and he blesses us. So there's a circularity that goes both ways in terms of this. And oftentimes when we think about it, uh, when we started this series on discipline, Jerry Bowen started out with gratitude. Gratitude is one of our disciplines and practices. And when we practice <coughs> gratitude and we're thankful, we often, it often puts us in touch with the things that God does for us. But he's pleased, he's blessed when we thank him. That's part of how we worship. When we're focused on what he's done in our life and we thank him, it blesses him. So there's a circularity in relationship to God and how it works. He protects us, he provides for us, he answers prayer, and, and we glorify him. We pray and trust and obey, and we receive honor, blessings, and we get to know him through this type of circularity. <clears throat> Secondary calls are the last three life tasks, which are what? Work, family, and community. So a secondary call, sometimes we'll think of it as motherhood or being a professional or living in Tucson or having babies, being a Bible teacher, soccer coach, cook, and so many more. But the chief task is keeping our primary call primary. Our secondary calls are secondary, but we're to hold them together. And this is one of the main tasks of faith. It's a very difficult one. Chris was talking about this last week a little bit on how you bring this together, kind of reform theology perspective. We are to know that our primary call leads us without fail into a secondary call. I think one of the things that you can see today is people are afraid. They're afraid oftentimes to step, step into life tasks 
They're not sure that they can do it. But as they walk in faith, they begin to see that God will be with them and he will not uh, desert them. If they make their, if they, their secondary call becomes primary, it becomes idolatry, which is a hard one. And this is a whole sermon in itself. <clears throat> but the calls of God and the blessings of God, if God doesn't stay first, these secondary tasks can become idolatry. However, there are the places in secondary care calls, usually where we learn to trust God and find His will and experience rewards like significance, security, and prosperity. These, however, come from the hand of God. Chris was talking about this too. They're also part of the grace of God and God's gift. So, they're usually the context of practicing our faith. And this psalm, because it's a psalm. A blessing. We see the consequences of faith that we're blessed in these particular life tasks. Blessings, the definition is a blessing, and you can see it in the way that this was worded in the New Living. It says, you find joy, happiness, prosperity, rewards, something that lifts our life, <coughs> makes us joyful. Because we're expecting that we serve a good God who loves us and rewards us. Are we looking for grace that will be beyond all we can ask or think? Are we full of, or are we full of negative expectations? I like the character Eeyore. <laughs> he doesn't have the joy of the Lord in him at all. Eeyore is the guy that says something like, you know, life is a problem. It's all about pain and suffering which leads to pain and suffering. And so the, the whole thing that counters that is that God is a good God and we can expect Him to reward us and to bless us. And especially as we learn to walk in faith and trust Him because He's committed to the restoration of creation, to shalom, and uh, that restoration brings a, a glory. I like what Tim Keller says. Tim Keller says that God is not going to compensate us for our suffering, but to transform it into something that has a glory way beyond our comprehension and that will cause us to say that our suffering was nothing that really mattered compared to the weight of glory that we received. When I was looking at this psalm, I looked up how many times the word reward is used in the scripture. It's used 80 times. And it's usually that God will give an imperative. This is what's required of you, and then here's a promise of a reward. But the interesting thing is you can't count how many are there because it's used conceptually over and over and over again with how you're using the word reward. So I want to show you something in terms of this. This is the... Uh, what this would look like if it's diagrammed in terms of circularity. This is the first one we did with God. The second one with work, this is one of the things I want you to think about just for a challenge. When we follow God, we contribute something of value to our workplace. And you can think about that. What is that in terms of what you do? 
Now, one of the things for people that struggle, that, like Eeyore, they oftentimes feel like they're not valuable. So one of the first things that we get in the belief system in the kingdom is everybody's valuable, right? The grace of God makes us all valuable whether we do something or not. But from there, we contribute something of value. When we start contributing something of value, then usually our workplace sees it as valuable and they contribute value back to us. Where the biblical word that's used is honor, but it's the same word, is value. So we get what we call positive circularity. And the people that are usually the most blessed in life have created these positive loops in every life task and they're created through faith. The hard part is you can step into something that at first you contribute and you're not valued. So if you're dependent on the people at work, for the feedback at work, sometimes you'll quit too early, and I'll show you some dynamics on this. This is very, very complex, and just doing a broad brush is a little bit hard to do, but the scriptures give us a vision of shalom, which is a concept of, of restoration of God's creation. And what it really means is that uh, it gives us an imperative to work towards restoration. And when we create these positive loops of restoration, we feel valued, we feel secure, <coughs> and safe, and blessed. Everybody want to be valued? It's built in, right? We're made in the image of God. God wanted to be valued. We want to be valued. That's the way we are. As a therapist, it's one of the things I do. I listen to that all the time. I listen to people that don't feel valued in interactions and transactions that um, cause them not to feel valued. And oftentimes, out of that, they um, create what I call negative loops that are not valued. Um, in this song, value <laughs> is another word for blessings in the context of the kingdom. And I'm going to throw something at you because you can see this so easily when we talk about this. People that are, tend to be self-centered or blessing-centered um, instead of God-centered end up becoming uh, what I call negatively entitled. All of us know the biblical imperatives, what God wants us to do if we're studying the scriptures. But what happens is when we don't get what we want, when we want we oftentimes become negatively entitled. So we go, I'm not going to do uh, what I'm called to do. And I start, they'll start to renege on their commitment. I'm only going to do what's right if I get out of it what I want. What I want. Now that's an extreme statement. <clears throat> but it, it's also one that is kind of the fruit of self-centeredness. And as a therapist, where you see this the most is in addiction. In addiction, people oftentimes fall off the wagon because life doesn't go the way they want it to go and they feel bad, so they use their drug of choice. They want to feel good, so they'll move in it into an area that they know is going to hurt them, but they don't care because they're angry and they become entitled. I had an um, alcoholic that I was working with one morning and he said, I was driving down Speedway and the dog ran out and the car hit the dog, ran over its... Um, rear and broke its back. And he said, last year I would have gone home and drank a case of beer within an hour, an hour and a half. 
because he didn't want to feel bad. He didn't want things to be bad, so he would push it into his drug of choice or his addiction. And that's one of the things that we see in negative entitlement. People have a hard time being steady, have a hard time walking in faith. In our faith, uh, one of the things that we see is we only receive the promises when we walk in faith and patience. So a lot of times when you're doing one of these things, if you're contributing, if you're being obedient, trusting God, and it doesn't work out the way you want it to be, you start moving in another direction. And this is really hard. It's a really hard thing to get past. So I'm going to move to the um, pictures of the horses. You see them, Chris? Okay, so this psalm has kind of a, it's a false division, but uh, the first call is primary call to God, which is spiritual. And then the second three secondary calls are more the natural calls. So we have a hard time in, in putting these two calls together. Luther says one of the things that the church does is they have a hard time staying on top of the horse. They fall off on either side as they're getting on. We tend to polarize on the concepts of Scripture. So sometimes we focus, if you, if you take, for instance, the fact that Christ was human and God, sometimes we overemphasize the fact that he's, that he's God, and so that's our focus. Sometimes we overemphasize the fact that he's human, and we go in that direction. <clears throat> the only way to stay on the horse is really to focus on God. He's the one that keeps us upright and in balance. But... I'll give you an example. When we focus on God too much, there's a guy that wrote a book called Why Men Hate Going to Church. He uses a story of a little guy that got up to bat, and the whole team's watching intention. He swings, hits a home run, runs the bases, and the whole team comes out to honor him for hitting the home run. Then he says, the dad comes out of the stands and yells at everybody and says, it's not about my kid, it's about me. I'm the one that should get all the credit. I signed him up for a little league. I bought his, his bat, his glove. I taught him everything he knows. He should get no credit. You ever run into a religious person like that? The early days of the vineyard were like that. We were very Gnostic. It was always that Jesus got all the glory so you weren't humble if you thank somebody for honoring you. So sometimes it goes too far in terms of that type of a direction. <clears throat> it can go too far in the other direction where it's all about humanity. One of the drug addicts in the early days of the vineyard, I was working with him one night. We had a property that we put people up on. And I said, tell me your view of Jesus. And he said, he's my friend. And I said, well, does he require anything of you? And he goes, he's my friend. <laughs> He didn't want to have any requirements whatsoever. He wanted God on his level. He wanted just the humanity of Jesus as a friend. He didn't want any hierarchy whatsoever. And this causes a lot of problems in terms of this. I have a friend that's a pastor up in Phoenix. He lost his son in the Salt River. He drowned. He was an amazing pastor in the Jesus movement. I went up to see him about two years later. <clears throat> and he confessed to me, he said, I've never had doubts about God, but he said, the hardest thing is I'm still struggling with my grief. That's part of his humanity, his humanness. 
he said, and I just can't seem to get over my grief. And he says, my church keeps telling me that I'm not spiritual, that I shouldn't let go, that I shouldn't trust God and what's matter with me. Well, what you see is that people that are overly spiritual will deny the humanity. And they don't understand the, the struggles with these things. And so it goes in another direction. Or I can take another story. Nebuchadnezzar is a, is a great humanist. You know, it's all about him. He's born that God put him in the position. God is sovereign, really gets the honor in the long run. He gets up on the rooftop and says, everything you see I have created is about me. He didn't see God at all. He's got the other side of the horse. <clears throat> One of the things I think we're afraid of in the church, sometimes we're afraid of our humanity because if we honor somebody, we're afraid they'll get a puffed up head. My dad used to say that. If I honor you, you won't be able to get through the door. <laughs> but who's the head shrinker in the Bible? <coughs> yeah, God's the head shrinker. God humbles the the and exalts the humble. So the only thing you can't do is wear your badge for being humble in the church. Right? <clears throat> anyway, I need to end on this, but in these three areas, one of the things that I see is that there's lots of people that walk in faith even today. One of the popular movies that just came out with the Oscars got two awards was um, Hacksaw Ridge. How many saw them? Okay. Great movie. It's a war movie. It's a Gibson movie, so it's violent. But there's a book called Redemption of Hacksaw Ridge that tells the whole story. <clears throat> so this would be a community development. And this guy's committed to our nation. He's a warrior. He's an uh, army person. But in World War II, he's a Seventh-day Adventist and believes that he should go in and not carry a gun. So on these circles, is he going to be valued if he doesn't carry a gun? <laughs> No. So he starts out more loyal to God because he believes that he should be a life giver and not a life taker. That's what he says. <clears throat> but the people in the army around him say, what good are you going to be if you don't have a gun? So he gets beat up and the story is pretty rough in terms of the persecution that he receives for being in opposition to the system. Every kingdom person has to make the missions of God higher than the missions of their domain, their sector, their tasks, and to think that through. If they're truly going to have God as their primary call, he has that. But what it costs him at first is an awful lot of persecution. Then he gets to, um, he gets into the war, and he begins to save people. And he saves person after person after person, and pretty soon he becomes very valuable. In fact, he becomes the most valuable medic in the unit. Everybody wants him on their team because he does amazing things. He doesn't care about his life. He cares about serving God, what Chris was talking about last time. Because he wants to serve God, he takes huge risks. <coughs> I'm going to give you a, a couple stories on it, and then I'll finish um, 
there's a guy that's shot, and he's shot in a rice field, and there's no cover. So they call for a medic, but none of the medics want to go because they know they'll be shot by the sniper that shot the soldier that's laying in the rice field. So Desmond Doss is his name. Desmond says, I'm going to go. Well, he's loved by this point. So his men go again after him, and they're hiding in the bushes, and he goes out onto this rice field. <clears throat> While he's out on the rice field, he's uh, doctoring this guy up, getting ready to pull him off, and they see the sniper was rifle, and they're going to shoot Desmond Doss. They're waiting, and I guess they can't hit him. He's too far away, and uh, he doesn't fire a bullet. So Desmond Doss saves this guy with complete exposure, and the army says, how did you get out of there without getting shot? Well, he's memorized Psalm 91, and it's about God's protection. So his reputation goes up to all the troops all over the world. They all begin to hear about him and what he's done. Now the movie's about that he brought 75 men down in one night and saved their lives. That's the whole theme of the movie. But his stories are amazing. For instance, he's in another battle. is not represented completely by the movie. And he's in a foxhole with two other guys and a grenade's thrown into the foxhole, so he stands up and puts his foot on the grenade to save the other two guys. It blows up and blows shrapnel all up his leg and through his butt. And <clears throat> he can't get out of there. The other guys flee. He's crawling around and the blood's flowing out and he's passing out. So a guy comes and he picks him up, holds him up, and as he holds him up, a sniper hits him and the arm breaks two bones here, one bone here, and bullet lodges up in here. And so the guy goes, I don't know what to do with you. And he goes, give me your gun. So he takes the gun apart and he straps the butt of the gun to his arm to hold it firm. They're, they get about another 50 yards. The medics show up with a gurney. They put him on the gurney. He goes 50 yards and says, that guy over there is worse than me. Put me down. Take him down. So in terms of reward, he receives the Purple Heart, the Bronze Star, and the Congressional Medal of Honor, which reads, the Medal of Honor for conspicuous gallantry and, and intrepidity involving risk of life above and beyond the call of duty. Call of duty. So you think, why is this guy gonna be above the call of duty? Because who called him? God called him. He listens to his maker. Not just the army, listens to his maker. In action with the enemy. So I had to look up intrepidity. How many people know what intrepidity means? It's the best definition of faith I've ever seen. And it's in the Congressional Medal of Honor. Word. It's, it could be said that it's faith or courage <coughs> of the unknown threats characterized by resolute fearlessness fortitude and endurance. And it fits a verse that I like, that I think represents Old Testament faith. Be strong and courageous and do the work. Accept your call. Do not be afraid or discouraged by the size of your task, for the Lord your God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So anyway, my challenge tonight is to think about your call. You have a call, and you're the only one that can live out that call. And it brings you into a lot of secondary calls, but that's where 
your uniqueness comes as a person, is being able to hear God's voice and be able to trust him and be obedient to him. This 